Welcome to the Weird Thing Podcast. My name's Rich Blackett, and I'm joined this week by co-hosts Frigga Ashraf and Jens Jalen. This week we'll be talking about inclusivity. Frigga, what are your thoughts? Hi, uh, well, my thoughts, are, I have a lot of thoughts. Let's just get back a little to, to when the, the word inclusivity starts buzzing around in hidden circles. And that's only a few years ago. Before that, as far as I can see it, the focus was on, on anti-discrimination and anti-racism. And then suddenly there was inclusivity. At first I thought it really a good idea. And then I was a bit doubtful. But then again, when I looked more into it again, I thought, yes, inclusivity is a good thing because it is way broader than the focus we had first, because it is about accessibility in many ways. And so there is a lot of thinking, at least for me, I'm a thinker. Yeah, I remember as well how this word popped up a few years ago. And my first reaction was that I very much liked it. My reaction is still that I very much like it emotionally. It just feels good. The only tiny issue I have there is that ironically, in the beginning, I think, or I felt that inclusivity mainly was a label to say, we are not these right-wing reactionary people. We are not those, we are different to them. And I think inclusivity is, too valuable, too, too good a thing. It's It just stands for itself and it deserves to be taken as a goal for itself and not just to show that we are not the others. So it started a bit ironically there, but I think it's really worth of being filled with actual content and substance. It's an interesting thing because when someone says they're anti-discrimination, it's a lot of things what you're not. Whereas I think perhaps the implication with inclusivity is what you are. I think the idea being, in a, from a linguistic point of view, to be literally more inclusive. So we will include these people, we will include that, rather than this is what we will not have. It's a very sort of uh, negative point of view. And I think when people had this anti-discriminatory stance, it doesn't really lead anywhere. It just You're just anti-this or anti-that. It's almost like an, an older kind of way of expressing political opinions in terms of just political language. So, you know, you think of all the groups that are the anti-this or the anti-that sort of league or the anti-this whatever sort of group in the 70s and 80s, whereas you don't find many groups like that really now. You, know, you, you don't find the anti-homophobic league. You know, you, you, you find sort of like Rainbow Alliance who want to, to do positive things and so... Yes and no. So it's an interesting use of, of how language has changed and how perhaps um, activism perhaps has, has changed and how it sort of goes forward. Is that is that your experience with that sort of figure? Yeah, that is my way of thinking too. And but what I still ask myself is is if I look around in hidden circles and and how the approach and people deal with inclusivity is is if that shift from anti discrimination and anti-racism to inclusivity is really made. I agree with, I rather talk what I'm for and what I'm stand for than what I'm against, 
with anti-discrimination and anti-racism, you need to express it in that way. That's why I say inclusivity is way broader. And we have to grow into that, which means it is a learning process. It's now for me about three or four years that I'm I'm really looking into it and I'm learning more and more and more and I'm still becoming aware of what it is all about. And I, to me, that is one of the things um, you, you have to look at yourself. Um, inclusivity is, in my opinion, asking that. What is my bias? What is my way of thinking in a lot of different ways? And that's, yeah, all that kind of ways and all that kind of things I would love to discuss in this and other podcasts to come. So, yes, I think it's very fast just to change the label. And I think it's a good label, but we need to fill it with more substance, more content. And that's just work which has to be done and exploration which has to be done. Absolutely. I think it's so that people can hear the phrase inclusivity and know what it means straight away rather than going, well, are they really? What do they mean by that? Whereas if people, you know, people going to use it in a meaningful way and it will have a, like a, a, a linguistic currency that is understood by people, which we're getting there, but it's not quite there for everybody. How do you feel about it, Rich? I'm very much on the outside looking in because obviously everybody, everybody should, in my opinion, want to be inclusive and that to me sounds a fine sort of way of going ahead but i'm not sure how people who have been previously excluded might feel about that and if they feel they're being patronized a little bit or just a token sort of person so i'd be sort of concerned that you know somebody who has been previously excluded from a from a heathen group or, or groups say oh no no we're very inclusive come along they might feel, are they just wanting us, wanting me along to, as a sort of a, a token or as a badge to say we are so inclusive because we have this person now, and that's our, that's our anti-racism solved. We now have this person, or this is our, you know, no one can accuse us of being homophobic because we now have a, you know, have a homosexual friend. So that's just fine. That that's that's sort of, uh, even if the people themselves don't mean that, that could be a perception. And I don't know what the solution to that would be. Obviously, just talking to people and becoming their friends is probably a good, a good step rather than just having them along as a token. But I think it's important that it's not just a token thing, that, it, that there is definite steps and policies or whatever in, in groups and, and actions and deeds as well. That's, that's really my sort of feeling, on, certainly in the groups I've interacted with, as to how to do it so far, a way that is inclusive people who, who want to be included which of course the flip side is we do not include those who exclude others i think is the what, what is the quiet part of that phrase of inclusivity because it's very easy for those on the extreme right or whatever or bigots to say well you say you're inclusive but i'm a racist and you won't include me so you're clearly wrong that kind of spurious logic trap um but really, the, what is really meant by that, that people who, who exclude others are not included. That, that's really where we're coming from in terms of the groups that I've been involved. Does that mirror what you guys have done? I think there is always there are always limitations. There are always boundaries. And that's why I think it is good that it is an ongoing uh, discussion what inclusivity means. 
for a lot of things, for a lot of, you, you can't say, I mean, of course you can come up with a definition of inclusivity that it is, you know, accessibility for um, marginalized groups or, or people are welcome, but indeed there is still behavior which you will not tolerate, but you have to keep on discussing about it and listen to people. And, and that's why I always say, look inside yourself what is my way of thinking what is my approach am i really inclusive or i i still this you know cultural um ways of thinking uh due to my upbringing uh to, due to the groups i'm in yeah what i said before we need to to talk with each other and we need to talk with the people it is about otherwise again it is the dominant group from whatever way which is talking about. No, we need to talk with, and not only within uh, our hidden circles. I mean, inclusivity is not, not limited to hedonism. It is way broader in our societies. Well, I think that's definitely true. I, mean, I think of various attempts at inclusivity, which have come, not within heathenry, but have come completely uh, uh, from the wrong uh, sort of angle with the best of intentions and have been disastrous. Um, I think of various sort of things from something done in the steampunk community to broaden their appeal in one a small little forum, and with the best of intentions, and uh, you know, uh, it it backfired horribly. Um, at least it, it it backfired for a while until people realised they'd literally done it from a position of colossal ignorance rather than prejudice. But still, it was a problem. But I think the the interesting thing about the way that we include people in, and I think the consultation, speaking to people, is also very important part of that but i'm thinking also of the way that rules at events are written so if certain behavior is not tolerated if that's written in the code of conduct that sends a clear message it's not a matter of well everybody here's cool so everyone's going to do cool stuff no we have to have that written down because some there was a, it would just take one person to abuse those rules and um it's it, it feels very authoritarian to do that but i think it's important any event has to have a code of conduct um, it, it saddens me that it's required but it is events that you've attended has there been a code of conduct that people are attempting to are supposed to adhere to oh, definitely just mentioned these written down rules i experienced that they are they have some kind of flexibility there and they require some kind of flexibility because you have no idea what will happen on such an event. So as an organizer, how you will need to react and you need to have a safe ground from which you operate. You need to be safe in your decision maybe to exclude a person because they violated the code of conduct, but you don't know what happens before. So this code of conduct usually has some kind of flexibility in there. The other side of this is, of some I've experienced, that they were not very clearly stating we really want to include, let's just say, gay people. It's sometimes written down, sometimes it's not written down. And some organizers seem to think, yeah, we don't want to, we, we want to keep the flexibility there. And we also don't need to explicitly say, because it's so obvious, of course, we include you. And on the other hand, with having a history of having been excluded in the past, on other occasions and being very cautious there uh, for reasons, it looks like they have this flexibility 
they don't say I mentioned. I'm not sure if I'm really meant or not because it's not really said there. So it helps in the code of conduct to have some kind of flexibility, but also very explicitly to say whom you want to include, whom you welcome. And this is something I haven't realized for a long time. Because in, in my group and, and the circles I'm in, as you said, it's obviously that people uh, are welcome. And due to the fact, I mean, I'm, I'm cisgender, uh, hetero, white. So I never had to think about it. And that is one of the things which is important to me to say as well, no blaming and shaming. I am not aware. I wasn't aware of a lot of things. I'm still not aware of a lot of things. And that's why it's so important to talk with people. Because what I've learned recently much more is it's about safety, that people feeling safe. And how we can um, offer safety to people, can people only tell themselves? Because we're all from a different angle there. And again, listen to people. When it comes to the obviousness, what some groups just say is you find things like, we follow the old ways, for example. Mm. And that may sound very neutral to some people. But for a gay person, this may mean that they implicitly say, of course, we don't want homosexual people here, because that's what they may understand by the old ways. Yeah. And if you don't mention it explicitly, just this one sentence, we follow the old ways, for example, without the counterweight of we welcome queer people of any kind here, gives a reason to be cautious. Am I really welcome there? To step on this cautiousness as well, and what you said about tokenism, as a gay man, white, I need to explicitly say to come out, as long as I'm alone, as I don't come with my partner, then not. But <laughs> as long as I come as a single attendant to any event, I need to tell people I am gay. So I have the option, I need to decide there as well. And I quite often felt uncomfortable without saying, oh, by the way, I'm gay, and felt even a bit odd about that. But on the other hand, partially, I didn't want to be the one openly gay person there at the, uh, at the event. I didn't want to be the token gay just by being the only one. But I was also not really sure how welcoming will they actually be. It's just never mentioned. And if you speak so much about traditions and old ways and so on, and you hear all these things floating around, what people derive from Icelandic sagas and so on, it's just not very clear. Yeah, it reminds me of a story of some two friends of mine who were looking into sort of um, heathenry and felt it might be um, a sort of a religious belief that they'd be interested in getting involved with, but everything they'd heard or the, the reputation was it was lots of right-wing bigots that that was their perception that that was it was all very homophobic and stuff and they met a heathen and they mentioned obviously we'd like to get involved but you know you know there's the issue with heathenry and fortunately the person who was involved with the heathen kindred said no 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 you should come to our group not only are we inclusive but we have a gay gothi who will be the person who will you know sort of induct you into the group and absolutely we're inclusive please please come along don't don't have that impression but if they hadn't met that person they, they might have still continued to have that perception. So I think there is a, a sort of a perception of the aesthetic of heathenry, unfortunately, whether people just see it online or uh, expressions of it, you know, at various events. 
because it has this reputation for being very masculine, but also very bigoted, very exclusive, fortunately. Even within the pagan community, where I've, I've read comments, it was, well, saw some runes, yeah, probably racists, back off. And li- literally, it can be as much as that, because that is the, because of certain other toxic elements have, have ruined it for everyone, for want of a better phrase. How we conquer that, I think, is, 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 or, or, or remove that stigma, I don't know. There's people who have been trying to do that in the last couple of years, with deliberately, I don't say provocative, but very, very, very clear statements of where they're coming from in terms of inclusivity or opposition to certain political viewpoints. And it's very notable that there's been a huge, I wouldn't say a huge backlash, but there's been there's some very unpleasant comments back from people. And that obviously indicates that there is still this very toxic element within heathenry. Or perhaps not even heathenry, I might say heathen adjacent. People who like the aesthetic, like the, the vibe of Vikings and stuff, probably follow a lot of heathen pages, but maybe they don't have an altar, they don't worship or believe in gods or have any spiritual belief at all. But they they vaguely identify as Viking or something like that. And those uh, and that's a much, much, much bigger community out there. And that is perhaps where the toxic reputation of heathenry is even harder to conquer because those people are never even going to come to bloods or symbols or anything like that. Just that you mentioned runes. Yes. We're from different countries. Mm-hmm. In Germany, it's kind of an ongoing myth that the use of some runes is forbidden. Oh, yes. What is actually legally forbidden for very good reasons is to use very definite symbols, some of them runes, which have been used by the Nazis. So just keep away from the double sovilo in Germany. Just don't do it. But some people have the impression yeah. you can't use a single sovilo. And no, you can't use runes as a writing system if you just skip out some of the letters. And the approach to that, again, is what Frigga said before, keep talking with each other. We need to communicate about this. So also about these things, we just need to talk and to spread the right information and to talk with each other. I think there's a similar um, sort of, uh, I won't say fake news, but there was a sort of um, a very biased news sort of report being passed around a couple of years back about how was it Sweden was going to ban all runes. And they weren't. They were going to ban specific runes in specific contests by specific people. And in the end, they said, well, no, it'd be difficult to to actually maintain or to actually do this. So it's, it, you know, it was dropped. But they, it was passed around various sort of right-wing groups of like, Sweden's banning runes, it's our heritage, and all this, you know, all that kind of... And that sort of stirs up a sort of... Uh, and it's very much this emotional aesthetic sort of appeal. And that's nothing to do with inclusivity, but you can see that sort of um, instinctual or aesthetic appeal to sort of certain um, emotions, in, and that is perhaps where we ha- where people get that unpleasant association with heathenry or anything to do with Norse Germanic culture. Yeah, we always will have the problem with that uh, inheritance of the Second World War. Uh, that's why I think a lot of groups have been very aware. And then I talk about 30 years ago when in various countries groups started to, to when the revival of, if you can talk about the revival of, of Hedendom, more or less started again. You 
can also see here the 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 the, the, the power of, of symbols. And if I look back, as I said, about 30 years ago, people indeed often assumed that you were right-wing when you say you were a Germanic heathen. And I think a lot of work is done by a lot of people, and that changed. And people look different at Germanic heathendom. But the last years, of course, there is this change in culture, of uh, political change again, and right-wing is... Uh, rising again so that has its reflect on us and I think just because of that not only was heathendom it's it's even more important to work on being inclusive definitely I mean I know in, in our group we've only done a few again we're back to tokenism but for, for pride month we obviously changed our logo to the we added like a rainbow color to it and after a month I said well should we change it back I said no Let's just leave it up for as long as we like. Just just leave it as that rainbow logo. And, you know, maybe six months, maybe a year. We'll see what happens. And we got lots of negative comments, but equally we got lots of positive comments as well. So I think it does make a difference to state who you are as openly, just even with a symbol. Symbols can be positive for that sort of approach as well. If people, we want it to be when people see that simile, associate something good with it. You know, I think a long time ago, people would, see the cnd symbol and have certain connotations with that or they would see a dove symbol and have certain connotations with that and if we can make it so that certain heathen symbols people know when they see that oh well these are these are decent people these are inclusive people without them having to have a little charter explaining how, how they're inclusive and who they're inclusive with and which people they will include if you just see that oh well yeah so we can have that kind of language of symbol or you know, um, semiotics if we can make it clear that way i very much approve of companies and organizations hanging out rainbow flags in a way during pride month it's it is discussed uh, within homosexual or queer people if that's a good thing or not if suddenly all the big companies are painting everything in rainbow colors and isn't this just advertisement how much do they mean it but as long as these groups and companies and organizations don't act homophobic the other 11 months, then it suddenly becomes bigoted. Then, yeah. no, just don't do it. If it really contradicts what you're doing the rest of the year. But even if the organization or the company is completely neutral the rest of the year and they are showing rainbow flags at Pride Month, it, it still feels good for me. And it's still an option to say to them in the other 11 months, why did you hang out the Pride flag then? during this time. So it's quite a statement if you do that. And I like it very much. <laughs> Reminds me of a statement by the playwright Harvey Fierstein, who said, visibility, 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 visibility at any cost was his sort of viewpoint. He said it was important because if you're not visible, then you don't exist. And then people can deny you. He said, I mean, he was coming from an older generation, but certainly it was, he was stressing that visibility uh, was, was important in, in, in media, in books, in, in any sort of format. You need to be visible. That was his uh, perspective. And that, that was a very interesting thing to hear. I don't know how, whether that's still quite as relevant today. What, what would you say, Jens? I think visibility is extremely important. I think we're losing a bit the focus on heathenry, but <laughs> bring up said it's a broader topic at all. At the moment, trans people are becoming much more visible than they were in the last years. And this leads to the conclusion in some people, they didn't exist in the past. They weren't there. Where did they suddenly all pop up from? Whereas the thing just is, 
yeah, they were partially hiding and they didn't have the medical options. So yeah, it was different in the past. But they did exist and you just ignored them. There was a great graph I saw recently. It was said that in the past, people weren't allowed, in some countries, people weren't allowed to be left-handed. They were forced to be right-handed. And as soon as they stopped doing that, suddenly all these left-handed people suddenly popped up out of nowhere. Well, no, they didn't. They'd always been there. They'd just been forced to write the other way. And that was a very, very simplistic way of understanding it, you know. And, of course, it's well known, probably outside the purview of this podcast, but the history of trans people and trans identity and goes back as long as there is people and there's a we're uncovering more stories from the past seem seemingly on a daily basis when they find a story about a person or letters are found or certain ex person's expression of their identity you know going back to well i mean even in i mean we can bring it to heathen talk about um Hilvor's saga where a person who's assigned female at birth a woman described in the saga decides to become a warrior and when she becomes a warrior the um the the, the language in the saga changes to male so she, she's now a man she's a warrior so he he is now a warrior and fights very very bravely has this magical sword does all kind of stuff and then decides that they want to get married so the the, the tenses then change again he he is now she so she she's now a woman now she's no longer a warrior so it's very interesting sort of so quite what the full meanings are of that, I think I'll probably leave to linguists and historians, but the fact that it's so clearly in the saga there, and this is not somebody projecting back, it's clearly that it's a very interesting thing to unpick and to perceive. And that's before we even get to concepts like Sethar and, and what women's magic were and men doing women's magic and all that sort of complexity. I don't know what your other, if you've come across anything similar to that in heathenry. Oh, what pops up to mind? when you say this, is how our way of thinking is cultural over the years. And, and if you look back at Hiddendom, how much in a way we look back is with a Christian mm -hmm. way of thinking. And that is so important. And then I come back to you have to look in, into yourself, but you also have to look into history. What What is cultural? What are the, are the, are the spirits of time through centuries mm. and we are now moving on and which means a lot of yeah looking around listening to people and then you suddenly realize i mean why should we limit it to men and women where came that into being i mean if you look at nature there are way more differences and possibilities and so why should we force each other into like the example you gave i mean if for a long time it was you had to write with your right hand and what's wrong with writing with your left hand so what is it that is in our minds and why is it there and are we aware of it i think that's a very good example it is important that we understand not only historical stuff but also recent historical stuff because i know that there was a, a survey done of american heathens 10, 15 years ago, what came out of it was some interesting things. What you might expect, there was an awful lot of either serving military or police type people and a lot of men involved, as they probably expected. And people's political views tend to be center to, to right, not say right wing, but certainly center right. Certainly this is America. However, what, what was interesting was that there was a much bigger acceptance in these groups 
of of male gay heathens as well within these same groups. That was a very interesting sort of thing they hadn't expected to come out of that. And there's one or two pivotal people in various heathen kindreds in America who were openly gay and, and were foundational members of certain sort of groups. Uh, although that's that's very recent history. Hopefully it hasn't been lost forever. Uh, but I think, and certainly within paganism more broadly, there have been, certainly in some groups have been very accepting over the years. Although, unfortunately, I, I had a chance to read back some very old papers um, from the late 60s, early 70s regarding um, sort of pagan groups. And unfortunately, some of the prejudice there was, I mean, of its time, but that doesn't excuse it. It was, it was kind of depressing to read it and to be so grateful how far we've come in terms of paganism. It, it, just to see, not, not just um, bigotry towards gay people, but towards people of colour. And it was when, where my, my perception of paganism has been, it's been very inclusive and welcoming to people, you know? I wasn't sure. Uh, how, you're both a little bit older than me. Um, how, what was the, the scene or the heathen or pagan scene back, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago? I have not been active in heathenry then, so I can't really tell you. <laughs> but what I just would like to pick up, because it so much matches my personal experience with gay people, the general experience of mine is that people step out of the mainstream in one aspect. There are two general directions they take. Either they become very much more accepting and liberal and tolerant about other aspects being out of the mainstream, or they try to fit into this mainstream as good as possible in all the other aspects in their life. So you have these occasional, very conservative homosexual people who try to fit in as good as possible into the mainstream society, somehow counterweighing the fact that they're homosexual. And you have others who say, yeah, I'm out of this anyway. Who cares about the rest? And it was very similar to me what you said about heathens. You step out of the religious mainstream of society. So you step out of it in one aspect. And some learn, okay, it's okay to step out in other aspects. And others are driven back into this mainstream and all the rest of that. It felt extremely familiar from a different point of view to me. So, Frigga, please, you could tell us a bit more about heathen history because I'm just doing this for 10 years now. So I may be older in years, but not older in experience with that than Rich. Yeah, I can mainly talk about the Netherlands and my own experience. For my own group, I mean, there have always all kind of people been around, uh, which was perfectly obvious to us. I mean... There are all kinds of people. So um, for the brother, and then I talk about the heathen pagan community in the Netherlands. As far as I know, it was the same. There were gay people, trans people, people of color, which was perfectly normal to me. Yeah, I always get back to thinking. Um, what I noticed years ago in a, a discussion, an online discussion on a message board. You can message board, which is ancient. <laughs> And it's only a fact about 15, 20 years ago. Um, there was this discussion about uh, what paganism and hedonism was. And, and I found it so interesting to see that some people get upset when they start realizing, but, oh, 
are we not all having exactly the same view about it? And really get upset about that. And then I asked a simple question, what does it change for you to know that I think in a different way? Are you experience your religion different? Are you experience your rituals different? And actually to me, that is the same when it comes to inclusivity. Is your experience, the way you perceive the rituals, will that change if you use, for example, gender neutral language? I think that's a, an ongoing conversation or, or it's coming to the fore. I've seen a couple of YouTubers and others sort of seen it in other forums where the idea of a single right way in heathenry is, is very hard to get rid of. Because people coming from a monotheistic faith, even if they've never set foot in a church, they're going to come from that concept of, well, there must be a correct way to do it. How can we be more correct? How, you know, is there a creed? How do I convert? Is there a special ceremony? There's nothing wrong with having those sort of, you know, that impression. I'm just saying, but that is uh, an instinct that people have. And the fact that someone might do heathenry different is, is unsettling initially. I mean, certainly I was, certainly when I first got involved, I thought, well, there must be a proper way. These people over there, they're mixing up heathenry with Celtic stuff. Well, that's wrong. I, I'm, I'm, nothing. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Because people have always been syncretic and blending different bits of things. I mean, goodness sake, there was even Christian heathens for about 200 years when people were going to churches, but also giving offerings to Odin and Thor and Freya. So, which seems completely mad to us now, but people were doing it and felt fine about it. So I think. It's interesting to see that as you learn more about polytheistic belief or paganism in a broader sense, you understand there's it's much deeper and wider and more interesting than it, than you could have ever thought possible. And as you see people developing their own private local practice or whatever, I think that's great. I think the danger, provided it's within that concept of my private local practice is I must be homophobic. Well, no, that, let's not have that. But there is a vast sort of territory where you can be inclusive and not bigoted, but also have uh, multiple different kinds of beliefs or pantheons and, and whatever things, because people have always done that, always. And there's evidence of that, of whether they were Roman soldiers or whether they were Greeks or Egyptians or, or whatever, had different kinds of belief systems going on and the, the 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 blending of different beliefs and the local property i mean i think of germanic culture wasn't this monolith the people up in you know that what would have been the village of tromsø will not be practicing the same way as the people in the black forest in germany you know the, the <laughs> it's just ridiculous there wasn't a special telegram they said well this is the way we do bloats okay we're all agreed excellent we're all signed that it doesn't work like that so i think in terms of inclusivity, that might take different forms in different groups, depending upon the, the balance of groups. What I have seen online recently is the fact that the number of people who are certainly the next generation of heathens, you might call them sort of, you know, sort of 18 to 25, the number of people who are more confident being open about their sexuality and identity and things like that, and that will then feed into heathenry. And it will be very, very interesting to see how that develops in all those different groups and things. As I've said to people who are our, our generation of heathens, we'll know we've done it right when the next generation tell us we're doing it wrong. <laughs>
I like it. If the next generation tells us, yeah, 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 we are now going to do things more correctly. We're not, you know, we're kind of, we're trying to get away from what you guys were doing. We want to do it, you know, and we'll, yeah, that's it. Because if they're sort of taking, you know, if they're trying to, you know, build a different way and go a different way, then we'll know it's time to step back. And yes, this is it. This is what we want. And I think we're already seeing that in a number of different ways. Um, and sort of on an informal level, it's not in concrete yet, but as those people develop and we're seeing people with, you know, from all different backgrounds coming together, I, I, that's, that's my hope for the future. The things I've seen with people like the, the next generation, I don't know, but um, I don't know whether your experience has been that when you've met younger heathens, Frigga or Jens. Well, not specific within heathendom, but when I see young people, indeed there is, is for them uh, a lot of things which we have to learn and to become aware of is, is, is just the way it is for them. And that's a good thing. Let's not forget that inclusivity is also about accessibility and then... Oh, yes. Accessibility, also literally accessibility for mm. people with a disability. I think um, there will be uh, episodes which go way more in it, but I think it should be mentioned as well in this one. Definitely. I, I think, well, I've seen that in, in some events that w we have run where we've sort of considered accessibility or at least made it clear what is accessible and what isn't. We don't want somebody arriving there and finding, oh, so you said it was accessible, but there's, the first thing I see is a staircase. Thank you for that. Well, that's very serious because equally with the first heathen event I ever attended, they'd said it was accessible uh, because the, it had been put in the actual book, the actual um, advert is accessible by the sort of the place they'd booked. So they said, oh, well, we'll just listen to what they've said. And the, the people who'd actually advertised it at the place that they booked, the, literally there was a staircase that was outside, an external staircase, and it had been raining, so it was, coming, it, it was treacherous for me, uh, and I'm able-bodied. So it, it, I thought, well, and there was a person there who had who really struggled, and were, uh, and the people there were, the actual owners of the place were quite contemptuous of the fact that we said, well, you advertise this place as accessible, which is why we booked it. So I think in future events that, that we've done after that, there was actually a risk assessment, and can you actually confirm to us what you mean by accessible? Well, it, I think he thought it meant there was free parking, probably. I think that was, that was what he meant by accessible. Uh, what people mean by that, that, is it legally defined as a term? It might be in some countries, but I think, I think it's sometimes what people understand by accessible and what they mean by it and what others mean by it can be different. It's different in different countries. That is what I, my experience is. Or different, even between different people. What somebody thinks is accessible, is it, well, yeah, it's easy to get to. Well, no, is there a ramp for somebody, you know, with a wheelchair, or or is there like a handrail for somebody who can go up steps, but you know, that sort of thing? Will there be somebody available to to help carry my bags up because I don't have the strength to do that? Simple things like this. Will there be sort of um, braille or something on the uh, on the lift controls so I know which floor to go to, so I don't have to have a guide with me to take me back to my room? Accessibility is a good example. I learned that in our pre-chats that you really need to be explicit about it because there is no black or white, this is accessible or this is not accessible. It is, this is accessible to whom? And you don't know which disabilities the people might have. You have the same thing I said, I'm gay, I need to decide, do I tell these people or not? Other people, people of color are very obviously in a minority. 
with disabilities, there are the visible and the non-visible ones, and you don't know in advance, and you don't really know what happens then. So you really need to list, okay, we are accessible in these ways. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. This is what the circumstances are. Uh, you can't just say, we're accessible. You mean, okay, there is this one ramp, but is it too steep? Can the people access all the other places? So you need to go into the detail there. I mean, for example, if somebody, they might appear to be able-bodied, but they might need a CPAP machine to sleep. Otherwise, they can't sleep. And if they're going to a camping event, well, will there be power? Can I, can I plug it in somewhere? Well, no, because we're in a field somewhere. So they, it hasn't been considered that they need accessibility because they look fine. But, you know, there can be invisible disabilities that, that can impede people and, and things like that. However, I will say on a more positive side, that there was an event I went to where a, a guy came with um, who suffers from MS. And we sort of, he hadn't told us about this at all. And we were, okay, so we, we had some events planned and some walking events. We said, well, we'll change those to, to include you, inclusivity. And some he was able to do, some he wasn't. And we said, well, we, we managed to pick those very short walks and things and things he was able to do. And we felt that we hadn't really included him very much because we'd kind of these very low scale events. But afterwards, he said to us, he said, this is the most exercise I've done in a year. This has been tremendous for me. No, he, he said, no, honestly, he said, it, it said, it might not seem much to you, but I hardly ever go out. I've walked down a couple of roads and I've seen a couple of standing stones. It's been fantastic. You know, so we thought we hadn't done very much for him, but it, sometimes that can be a lot for some people. I wish he'd told us earlier so we could have perhaps arranged more, but uh, but he, he had a great time. And uh, I think it, um, I don't want to say claim that we did him a lot of good, but he, that, that was his, his opinion of the event. Yeah, to me, it is important that people are, are willing to be accessible for, for disabled people or people with, with a narrow diversity because it can't always be but i mean i'm i'm uh, have my limitations physically but if i indeed look at an event and if it's clear whether or not it's accessible then i if it's not accessible okay fine then i don't have to look into it but if i look into it and you get this oh this could be fun and then suddenly somewhere you'll find out well that's not possible and you're a bit disappointed so it's also here like with all kinds of other things, there are limitations in what is possible and what is not. But I think a lot is possible if people are thinking inclusive and really want to include people with disabilities as well. I think you raised an interesting point there with neurodivergency, because it could be something about, if it's a big sort of camping event, say with 100 plus people, you can just have an area of the campsite, which is the quiet area. Very simple. It doesn't require very much at all. But just actually just to do it and say, well, we will have no families there or there would be no norm with dogs. That's a, the quiet area. There will be no noise or less noise there. So people suffer from issues with noise processing or sound processing or anything like that. Or need a place with less stimulation. Yeah. And if you read something like that in, in a, a, you know, in advertisement uh, about an event, then you say, hey, people are aware of it. And, and only... The thought that hey, people are thinking of that. People yeah. are are that's already gives you a nice feeling. 
what I like about that story about that person, Rich, mm. is that it also shows inclusivity doesn't mean to include everyone into every single action you do there. There yeah. are obvious limits. You can't really include deaf people into a music concert. So this doesn't mean you can't do any music concert at all because it would be non-inclusive. But the point is that you included him and in some of the actions you made it possible for him to participate. That's a big part of the point uh, when we speak about this. You, you mentioned that um, deaf people don't go to music events. I have heard that there are deaf raves that, that, that take place in London in the middle of nowhere where they turn the music up so loud that people can feel it through their feet. So they do exist, uh, amazingly. So these, uh, it, it, they don't hear the music, but they can feel the beat. I wouldn't like to participate there, but... No, no, but for the people who go, um, good, good for them, I think. I mean, if, if you get back to, to, to the example of, of taking a walk, I mean, of course, able people go for a walk and go where I can't go is in a wheelchair. That's not mm. what we ask. But indeed, if there is sometimes this, this, this tiny little bitties and, and, and we can go somewhere or, or it's taken by a car. Or... Well, I think we, we did moderate what we're doing and we went to various visits, but I think there are options. I mean, you, you came to the, uh, the Asgardian event, which in theory should have been dreadful because it was very rainy and very wet. But I recall that there was a friend of mine was there pu pushing his, his partner in a wheelchair through very deep. We said, no, we'll be fine. Like, Are you sure? You don't want to have... No, no, it's fine. <laughs> the very wet ground. Oh, dear. Asgardian is a very lovely example for me because when I start talking about whether or not to go there, I, was, I think I was asked to come, come over and, and give some workshops. I said, well, then I need a mobility scoot and I need to sleep indoors. Mm-hmm. And so my surprise, okay, we will arrange that for you. And I was like, yep. wow. <laughs> and that happened twice, two years in the railway. I came there and it's this tiny mobility scoot. And indeed, one day there was a lot of rain and sometimes I got stuck. And then luckily, sneaking <laughs> around and came by and <laughs> just dragged my Some big burly Vikings out. came and hoisted you up. And <laughs> uh, Yes, that, that was actually one of the best Ask Guardians. It was despite the rain. It, it was tremendous. It was really good fun because I remember asking the, the 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 person who was running the kind of the kind of fast food van, and and I present very very square, very ordinary. So I said, "Oh, what do you think about the event so far?" And the lady who was running it, said, well, I've never seen such an interesting mix of people. I've seen little children and dogs and people in wheelchairs and people in full Viking kit, and they're all sat around chatting together. And I said, "Yes, that that's that's exactly what we want. We want it to be." Neither one nor the other, just so where all these different people can come together, and that, that yeah, that that to me is is is, an ex is a visible example of inclusivity, where you can come in just regular clothes, or you can come as a full Viking, or whatever. However, you present because you're there, people are happy to include you. Would you would you sort of agree that that would be a sort of a visible thing to see, or, or, or would it require? I mean, obviously. The actual event organizers and things behind the scenes have to put in place those sort of codes of conduct and all the other things. That would be the visible result of that. I think visibility is very important. You asked before about our historical experiences with heathenry. And I said, yeah, it's just 10 years ago for me. So it's not that historical. But then I thought, yeah, everyone said in the groups where I joined, where I was part we're tolerant, we're liberal. 
but there were no visible LGBT people there. And this left me kind of insecure with how will they really react? And even after my local group, I asked, I told them very soon and they were extremely relaxed about it. They were even so relaxed about it that I felt it's, I don't need to say it. And in a larger circle, I was again insecure. Will they really be okay with it? It feels so nice in general. Do I want to risk this, stirring this up by coming out as gay? So visibility is extremely important. But the question is, you can't really force it in a way. So it needs to happen. On that note, Jens, what would have been the sort of signifier that would have made you feel more comfortable? Because I, I have no idea, other than having a little poster up saying, we welcome the gays, which I think might have been a bit bit much what would have made you feel more comfortable or, or less anxious well hanging up a rainbow flag does help <laughs> okay no okay well fair enough if that if that works then yes <laughs> having some visibly gay people around but you can't force them again would help as well i remember one occasion when i came with a friend and his partner that suddenly the musical musical companion of the person who did the Saturday evening concert kind of crawled up to us at breakfast time and asked, are there more of us around here? So, <laughs> so it is this seeing, okay, I'm not the only one, it makes you feel better, but of course you can't force it to happen. So it's visibility, but also talking with each other. So visibility without tokenism, I think, is perhaps the... Uh... It's not just about uh, doing it just for the visibility of, for visibility's sake. Is there anything else you want to talk about on the subject of inclusivity that we aren't going to cover in later podcasts? We're going to cover everything in later podcasts. Everything. Exciting. I am excited to hear those, uh, that, that covering. So although there's clearly a lot more to discuss with inclusivity, which you will be covering in future podcasts, I think... Taking the, the takeaway from today's discussion is that inclusivity is a ongoing process of learning and talking to people and not about tokenism, but about having those conversations and working with people to be more inclusive as you go forward. It's not a simple matter of making a statement and that's that. The statement should be step one. Then you kind of, well, what can we do more? How can we include other people? And it has to be a two-way process because it's not about somebody dictating who they include and how they do it. They have to hear how people want to be included, if they want to be included. And I think that is the way forward. And giving those signs and indications and symbols that give the initial visibility that there is an inclusive approach taken by the group before you have to ask to see their documents of incorporation. So I think. We have a lot more to talk about in terms of how this inclusivity works and how to be less wrong. Perhaps not to be completely correct about inclusivity, but I think being less wrong is the approach we can take. So thank you very much for listening to episode two of The Weird Thing. And join us again next time. So the topics you want to cover with inclusivity, isn't it? Yeah. And the rights and wrongs and how people can do it wrong. And, and as we're not, as we're, this is not going to be for part of the podcast, how people can fuck it up. I'm going to be editing this out. <laughs>